In verses 1 through 17, which we did last week, uh, Paul tells the Corinthians who they are in Christ. Um, if you're still flipping, 1 Corinthians is the sixth book in the New Testament. That helps. Um, anyways, he, call, he tells them who they are in Christ, and then he calls them to change, to mend the divisions among them. Uh, so that was great, pretty clear. However, if you were, imagine you're doing 1 Corinthians in your uh, read through the Bible in a year plan, all right? Or you're just reading through the book because you enjoy it. And uh, your quiet time on Monday is 1 Corinthians 1. And you get to verse 17, and Paul's talking about divisions in the church. And all of a sudden, you look at verse uh, 18, and it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then for the next 29 verses, you get this really intense theological discussion on the nature of God's wisdom. And then back in, and then after that, in chapter 3, we're back to divisions in the church. So we go divisions, intense theological discussion on God's wisdom, and divisions. And my question to you guys is, does Paul have ADD? Okay? Because there are a lot of, there's a lot of passages in the Bible where you're like, what? Like, where is he going with this? Okay? Um, and so one thing that's really key to understanding this passage is we are still, even though the word wisdom is said 20 times in the next 29 verses, we are still talking about divisions in the church. Paul is grounding his call for them to mend their divisions and to love each other in some theological truths. Like we talked about in the intro lesson, the Corinthians had taken uh, their cultural values and imported them into the church. And Paul is correcting that with the gospel. So uh, before we read this long passage, we're going all the way to the end of chapter 2. I want to just give you a 40,000-foot view. So verses 18, or sorry, verses 17 to 25, okay? Verses 17 to 25 argue that God's wisdom in the gospel, God's wisdom in the gospel contradicts worldly wisdom, which we'll talk about. Uh, verses 26 to 31 argue that our salvation, yours, mine, and the Corinthians, the fact that we are saved, contradicts worldly wisdom. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, argue that the actual act of preaching and teaching contradicts worldly wisdom. And then finally, uh, chapter 2, verses 6 to um, 16, argue that God gives his wisdom through the Holy Spirit. So I hope that helps as we dive into this long passage, but hear the word with me, starting in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of God, or the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Thanks for your attention. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning we ask uh, that we would know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. That you would just send the Spirit and let the gospel have power in us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Sarah and I uh, went on family vacation this summer with her family in uh, mid-July, and it was wonderful. Uh, but when you vacation with people uh, for a week, you really get to know some interesting things about them. And uh, I learned something really funny about her brother, Brian. Uh, he loved applesauce. And he called applesauce the lost condiment. And so on Thursday night, uh, we made like very luxurious crab cakes, okay? And Brian is over there dipping them in applesauce. Um, but condiments are funny. Uh, what <laughs> Condiments are just, you know, they're just side dishes, sauces, ketchup, things meant to add flavor to a dish. And uh, it's, it's not the meal itself. Uh, it's literally just something based on your preference to make it taste better. Uh, you'll notice this. You'll go, to a, uh, you'll go to a restaurant, and there's literally 15 ways to put meat on a bun. You know, like there are 15 hamburgers to choose from. Um, we, all have, we all have condiment preferences. Everybody here likes ketchup, but it's not the meal itself. All right. 
if you went home and your roommate uh, and you asked them what they were having for dinner and they said ketchup, okay, you should take them to the hospital, all right? Um, it's not food, okay? Condiments are not food. Um, but there's something important to note about this, this whole passage and what it's concerned with is uh, we also have what I'll just call this morning communication condiments. So things that teachers and preachers use uh, to make their messages easier to hear. All right, so let's just pretend that I took a survey of the class and I lined up four really solid biblical gospel preachers. And I told you, you have to listen to one of them, all right, for the rest of your life, just one, all right? And uh, you had some sampling of their messages, and you had to decide which one you were going to listen to. How would you, they all preach the Bible, they all love Jesus, they all talk about the gospel, okay? How do you choose? Any thoughts? You, you discern, and you see what kind of fruit they're producing. Okay, so their lives, that's good, that's good. What, what about the messages themselves, though? What do you look for? Come on, what do you, be, be real, what do you guys like? Demonstrations. Okay. Like uh, actual, like they bring something up there. Okay, a visual aid. Okay, I like that. Difference. Okay, that's good. Visual aids, good. Okay, what else? Come on. Seriously. I know you guys go to lunch and you're like, man. Anecdotes. What are, tell me, what, like a side note, you mean? Anecdotes, like a story. A story. Okay, good. Stories. Who here likes stories? Okay, everybody. Illustrations, all right? Does anyone here really like it when a preacher, like, helps you know where they're going? Like, they just, like, walk you through it. They make, I love when, when someone is easy to listen to. I try to be easy to listen to. I know I'm not always, okay? Um, well, those things, all right, all those nice things, I think the fruit of a preacher's life is different. But all of the things that preachers do, like try to get a funny uh, introduction or tell you some stories to help you stay tuned in or, or give you some tracks to run on when you're listening, all of those are just communications condiments, okay? They're just catch-up, okay? An atheist can use them, all right? Evil people can use them to make their speeches sound better. Well, the Corinthians um, had set their hearts on ketchup. They had uh, obsessed with effective communication. Their culture, the Greek culture, loved wisdom. And when they say wisdom, they don't mean wisdom like we mean, like the art of living well. They meant, they meant wisdom in cleverness, sounding good, being rational, Tickling people's ears is a biblical term, okay? Uh, doing, saying things that people like and jive with, communicating in effective ways. They were obsessed with that. And they were evaluating their teachers, Paul, Apollos, Peter, uh, even, even Christ himself, based on how clever they were. The, the, their, the cultural value of just pragmatism and effectiveness had affected how they evaluated gospel preaching. And what we'll see in this passage, this kind of thinking... And even the value system behind this kind of thinking is contrary to the gospel itself. It's contrary to what God has done in Jesus and how God works in people's lives. So let's just see. Uh, again, I'll be, I'll be kind of flying through this. It's a long passage, but look at verse uh, 17. Paul says that he, does, he did not preach in words of eloquent wisdom or else the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. That's a really... A powerful statement. Paul is saying that if I dress up the gospel, if I make it sound good, if I, if I, if I make it really pretty, it empties the cross of its power. Um, I want you to imagine that you are in a community group, or maybe you're, maybe you're leading a D group, okay? You're leading a D group, and uh, you're studying the book of Ephesians on a passage that talks about good speech and refraining from anger, all right? And you're studying, and we'll say it's a D group, and the kids are being awful, okay? They're just being high school idiots, and they're just not staying on subject, and they're whatever, all right? And your co-leader goes, shut up, you idiots! We have to get back to our study on anger, okay? All right? 
that kind of invalidates what they're saying, right? Um, what Paul's saying here, and if you, if you try to dress the gospel up, if you, if, or even if you guys, if you evaluate uh, someone preaching based on how funny he was, or how good his illustrations were, or how clear he helped you see things, that's contrary to the gospel itself. Um, well, why? Why, why, is that, why is that contrary to the gospel? Uh, the logic is this, okay? Look at, uh, this passage talks about what the gospel is in many different ways. Uh, we're not talking about, when I say gospel, I don't necessarily mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean the capital G gospel. So the message of Jesus. It said several ways in this passage. In verse, uh, in verse 18, it's called the word of the cross, the message of the cross. In verse 23, it is Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. In chapter 2, verse 8, probably the strongest statement in the whole passage about the gospel, it says, they, they crucified the Lord of glory. So the gospel is a message about God's son crucified, but the king of the universe, the Lord of glory, the one who existed before time, the one who owns everything, him crucified, like, like electric chair, like tortured. You know, in, in, Roman, in Roman culture, um, people wouldn't even speak about crucifixion in polite company because it was such a horrible, painful, and shameful way to die. In, uh, in all the speeches, think about this, guys. Greek culture loved speeches. They lo- they, Greek culture likes speeches like we like YouTube videos, okay? And in all, in all of the speeches in antiquity, okay, no one ever even tried to speak about a man dying on a cross because it was so offensive and it was so awful and so grotesque. And the gospel itself is a message that says that God himself is crucified, so trying to dress that up just makes absolutely no sense because according to the world, according to all the things that, that the Corinthians value, and I think that we value too, things that sound humor, right? We love humor, right? Funny things, entertaining things, things that make us you know, kind of escape our lives a little bit and just enjoy ourselves, okay? The cross sounds crazy if that's the value that you have. If you're, if you're thinking for something that, that's rational, that makes sense, it's, it, this is insanity. Think about if you were God, okay? You have infinite resources at your disposal. You can do whatever you want, and you have to save sinners. Is this your plan? To come and die? And to be held up in shame before people? And think about that. It sounds crazy. And so the idea here is the gospel itself is contradictory. It, it runs counter to everything the world says about what wisdom is. It runs counter to convenient things and rational things and things that sound good. And so you don't dress up the gospel. Um, so the message itself stands in stark contrast to cool communication or wise guys or cleverness or whatever you want to say. But it's not just that. It's the, it's the fruit of the gospel. Uh, the gospel saves people. And um, these people are not super cool or awesome. Look at what uh, verse uh, 26 says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many were wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Um, in Roman society, uh, you had a very rigid class system. Here in America, you know, there's obviously divisions and stuff going on, but, you know, you can, you can break your class. You can rise up out of 
lower classes into other. And in Roman society, they were set. You know, if you were born in the lower class, you were just despised. People hated you. And most of the Corinthians, most of their church, were those people. God did not choose the aristocrats. He didn't choose the cool people. If you ever wondered, okay, why Hollywood is pagan or why there are so few professional sports athletes, even though all of them say, you know, thank God, whatever, you know, but like there's so few that are generally Christians or why we don't really have lots of Christian presidents or world rulers, it's because of this. God chooses, he deliberately chooses people the world considers weak. He does so to show his glory. He deliberately chooses people who aren't that smart. Okay, guys, I love you, all right, and I'm one of you, but guys, this is not a room of the most exceptional people and not pleasant, okay? All right, we are not the most, you are not, okay? I love you, but you're not. Because if you're a believer, man, God has chosen someone to shame the wise. Um, And he's done so uh, for his glory that no one can boast in his presence. And think about this, though. Uh, God, God also, he takes the weak, all right, and he gives them his strength. He takes people the world considers foolish, and he gives them the approval of God. You know, the gospel uh, shames, shames the wise, it shames the world, but it blesses God's people. You've been called by God into his riches. Um, so the gospel itself, the people that the gospel calls, both contradict worldly wisdom. But it's not just that. The actual act of preaching itself um, Paul says in, verse, in chapter 2, uh, verse 1, Paul came to them, and th- so this, sorry, in context, this refers to when Paul was initially preaching and the Corinthians were believing. Like, so the first time, Paul's like in the marketplace, there are a bunch of unbelievers there, and he's speaking about Christ. All right, and so he says this, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So when Paul came, when they were originally converted, okay, he did not come with a cool, like, three points in a poem kind of sermon, okay? Like, he didn't come with really great illustrations or, like, you ever heard a preacher, they start with an illustration and then they end with the same one and, like, blows your mind, okay? Paul didn't do that, okay? He didn't, he didn't wrap it up nicely in a bow. He just spoke about Christ. And he even spoke, uh, in verse 3, it says he spoke in weakness and fear and trembling. Paul wasn't a guy who'd rehearsed well, who felt really good about being in front of people, okay? In fact, this, this fear and trembling is probably not fearing people, it's probably fearing God. You know, the, the weight of speaking for God probably was what caused Paul to tremble. But he's saying, I didn't come to you with all this confidence. I didn't come to you as, with this persuasion. Preaching, so just know, guys, uh, 90% of preachers, I think, who are in the, in the least bit godly are nervous every Sunday. You know, I don't know, it doesn't matter how they appear, I don't think I've ever taught in public without being at least a little bit nervous, you know? Most times when I preach, I don't sleep the night before. That, that's just the nature of it. Um, and so don't, don't be confused. Even if preaching sounds good, guys, it is not the preacher who saves people. It's not, it's not some gifted communicator. Like, your unbelieving friend at work, they don't need to come here, Buster, to be saved, okay? Now, that would probably be great if they came. But, like, like your, their ability, your ability to be, to be fed... Your friend's ability to be saved does not, is not based on a person. You know, I used to know people, uh, a dear friend of mine, actually, who if he heard Buster wasn't preaching, he wouldn't show up on Sunday. He was like, I just, I just, you know. And that reveals that this person's trust was in a person. So just consider that. Okay, so 
let's apply this for a second, all right? Um, you might be thinking this is just real, this is way back in Corinth and we're different. Um, but I think, here's what, I, th I think what we can do here, take, take life and interpret life, all right, through the lens of a crucified Messiah. All right, so we got the solar eclipse coming, okay? And who here has eclipse glasses, okay? All right, good. Eclipse, eclipse glasses have a lens on them, all right? A thing you view things through that can help you look at the sun without blinding yourself, okay? If you're going to look at the sun, please wear them, all right? Don't, you know, don't blind yourself. Anyways, all right? But a lens is something that you see through. It's something that, that uh, it helps, it colors the world around you. And what I'm saying is we need to take the cross of Jesus, a God himself crucified, the Messiah forsaken by God for you. Take that and interpret all of life through that lens. Interpret what is valuable and good, what you love through that lens. I'll give you an example. Uh, take how you view your Christian leaders and their communication skills and their preaching through the lens of a crucified Messiah. Don't go into the, into the worship service hoping that Buster tells a story you love or hoping that he makes you laugh or hoping that he, he helps you track along, all right? Don't, don't be frustrated when those things, if those things don't happen. Go, go into the worship service and say, what I want is Jesus and him crucified. How I'm going to evaluate the teachers I listen to. How I'm going to, how I'm going to be, what I'm going to be expecting, what I'm going to want is that this helps me get closer to Jesus and him crucified. Is this man before me speaking obsessed with that? that that's how you should interpret preachers. That's how you should evaluate them. Does he bring me to Jesus and him crucified? And I say, I say more than that, all right? This is not, and I'll, I'll say this, okay, real quickly, all right? I, I love good communication. In fact, I, I'd love to go study um, the art of communicating at some point in time. I love helping you guys listen. I love telling stories. I love all those things. But just understand that those things, they're just servants. They're just condiments, all right? If, if, you, if, you, if you walk into a sermon hoping to be entertained or hoping to laugh or hoping to, you know, for it to be easy to listen to, you're going in with the wrong heart. Just know that. Uh, but we'll go a little bit further. Um, I think, and this is not as close to Corinth, but I think you should take how you view what is ultimately valuable and good about life, you should interpret that through the lens of Jesus dying on the cross for you. Example, all right? Uh, in America, though lots, lots of things in our culture are changing, uh, one thing has steadfastly stayed the same, and that is the good life and the offer that America gives you of the good life, of a sweet job with benefits, lots of free time, okay, work-life balance, okay, eventually family, house, all those things you ever wanted, and just a, a, nice, a nice family life. That's what American culture tells you is most valuable, and it's really easy to live your life for that. But just think, think about how you'd view your future and your life if you took Jesus pouring out his life for you and you looked at your life that way and the direction of your life and the goals of your life. Um, Sarah and I take uh, Nora to a nanny um, who really, uh, so we're, if, you, if you don't know me, we're, we're foster parents and that's something that's dear to our hearts and the Lord's been gracious to us. Um, but one of the people who really inspired us was, uh, was Nora Kate's nanny, our daughter's nanny. And uh, I'll just tell you her story real briefly. Uh, she graduated college uh, with a nursing degree, and someone told her, if you want to do missions, do it right, before, right after you graduate or you never do it. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyways, uh, so she goes to Uganda to work at a medical clinic there, 
and she sees the plights of orphans in Uganda. And as a single girl, okay, and ladies, just tell me what you think about this, okay? As a single girl, all right, with no job and no husband and no prospects on the horizon, all right, she adopts two girls and moves back to the United States and starts fostering. Now, what does that sound like to you uh, if you're thinking about being rational and planning your life out well? It sounds like madness, okay? It sounds crazy, right? If, you're, if your goal is the American dream, like, that's craziness. But, but think about, look at, that, look at that life. Look at what that life accomplishes through the lens of Jesus, through him, through him suffering and dying and giving him his life to others. All of a sudden, that life is beautiful, right? I just want to encourage you guys, take, take a look at the years ahead and your goals and what you want and try to see that through the lens of Jesus dying for you and giving you your life. Let Jesus be your wisdom, okay? Guys, don't, don't just take the book of Proverbs and baptize it, okay? So, uh, so, so, so many times we just take Proverbs, you know, Proverbs basically tells you if you live according to God's uh, standards and will, that he'll bless you, all right? And that's a good thing, and you guys should, you know, uh, uh, a soft answer turns away wrath. That's a good principle, okay? Don't yell at people. I get that, all right? But don't just take that and say, if I live how God tells me, he's going to give me everything I want, all right? Take Jesus as your example of God's wisdom. Okay, we'll move on. Um, so the gospel does not come when people dress it up nicely. It doesn't come through me or through uh, how well I am at persuading you guys. It doesn't come through my examples. How does it come? Uh, chapter 2, verse 6 to 16 tells us how it comes. It comes through the Spirit. Uh, look at verse 2, 4 again. Paul says that he did not uh, speak in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. He intentionally dressed down the message. He intentionally spoke plainly so that everyone present would see the Spirit working, not him. Imagine uh, if East Cooper decided to do a test of how faithful its members were, and one Sunday, say next Sunday in August, we decided to do our worship service with neither air conditioning or microphones on, Okay. So worship, preaching, everything. We got open air, hot, steamy, miserable open air, okay? Um, that would be awful, first thing. Okay, that would be terrible. But second thing, all right, anything that you got out of that service would purely be the power of God, right? You're not, you're not having a worshipful experience because you feel great and you have your coffee, you know, and it's freezing. And it's, you have the little warm, anyway, sorry. I, I love a warm cup of coffee when it's freezing. It's always freezing in the sanctuary, okay? You're not, you're not feeling it, okay? You're not, your emotions aren't being impacted because you feel great. Because God is working. And that's what Paul's saying here. He spoke plainly so that it would be clear that God was working as he preached. Um, so the Spirit comes, and he brings us all of the riches of God. Look at verse 9. Uh, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Just side note real quick, Paul is kind of quoting the Old Testament in verse 9. You, you all probably see it indented. Um, sometimes the New Testament authors would take several verses of the Old Testament and kind of combine them together, so Paul's doing that here. Don't be confused if you're studying that at home. But anyways, uh, Paul's saying all right, that the Spirit takes all of God's riches, things that you and I could not imagine that God has in store for us, everything that he has intended for you for eternity, he takes that and imparts it to you. You know, chapter 1, verse 31 says that Jesus is our righteousness and sanctification and, and 
redemption. And the Spirit takes the fact that Jesus himself, that you receive the righteousness of Jesus when you believe in him. That God looks at you. He doesn't see you in your sins. He sees Jesus. The Spirit takes a truth that rich, that you are right with God, and he implants it in your heart. It takes all of God's riches. How does this work? The Spirit, uh, in verse 10, searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11 says that, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So really quickly, uh, one of the hard parts about teaching the Bible, um, I got through two Sunday school lessons without talking about the Trinity, okay? Uh, but here we are. You can't really get through a book of the Bible without talking about the Trinity. This verse in particular talks about the Spirit's relationship to the Father and the Spirit's role in salvation. So just real quickly, all right, I'm going to talk about the Trinity for 30 seconds and help you guys understand how the Spirit fits into salvation and the character of God. So um, what is central to being a Christian is not understanding how the Trinity works perfectly, but, but believing okay, that God is one, but that the one God exists in three persons. The New City Catechism says that um, there are three persons in the one true living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, or the same in nature, and equal in power and glory. That's a mystery. How you put that together, you know, don't be a heretic, but don't worry too much about it, okay? But God, God is one, and God exists in three persons. Uh, you could even say that God is one, and he exists in maybe three centers of consciousness, okay, which sounds insane. Uh, and every illustration fails. The shamrock illustration fails. The water illustration is bad. All those illustrations you've heard are bad. But there's one in the Bible that helps you understand it. Sidebar here, uh, Genesis 2, God says he's going to make man he says, let us, different, you know, different person in the Trinity, let us make man in our image. And then he makes a man and a woman married in the garden. So God's image is, is on display with two different people who are united in marriage. You get that? So that, that's, maybe that'll help you understand the character of God a little bit. Two different people that are united together as one. Okay, anyways, um, so the spirit... The Spirit intimately and fully knows the mind of the Father. And then he takes everything he knows and he makes it known to you. He puts it, he helps you. When, so when I'm speaking right now, if you're, if you're catching any of this, if you're, if, you're, if you're with me, that's the Spirit giving you knowledge, helping you hear. And, and if you find uh, your emotions stirred in worship this morning, if you find yourself uh, drawing closer to God, that's the Spirit He's, he's pressing the weight of the truth on your heart. He's doing that. It's not Dustin, okay? It's not, it's, not, it's not the music set up, all right? It's not the artsy illustration. The Spirit is working in you. Um, and that's a, there are a couple ways we can apply this. Um, I'll say something about verses 14 to 16 really quickly. This is a, a tougher part of the passage that we can talk about in a minute if you want to. But verses 14 to 16 say that natural people, apart from the Spirit's work, cannot understand the gospel. They're not able. What they need is for God to reveal it to them. All right, we can go there in a few minutes if you want to. But I, I want to close uh, really quickly. Um, and I want to I ask a question. You know, how do we apply this, the fact that the Spirit is what takes the truth and makes it known to us? How, do, how, do we, how, do we, how is that relevant to us? I just want to ask a question um, from, verse, from chapter 2. Verse 5, Paul says that he, he preached plainly so that your faith 
might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I just want to ask you to think about this as we close. Um, Does your trust rest in people or in the Lord? Think about how how you understand life in this church. Or maybe you've been disappointed, you know, by somebody. Like, is your, is your, is your, is your faith for, your trust for, for life and joy and fulfillment, is your trust for you growing spiritually, for you overcoming sin, is your faith in, in people, in your friends, in your pastors, or is it in the power of God? Whom do you trust? Maybe that's something you just think about. Maybe you journal about that this week. You know, maybe you take, maybe you take, take some, some sin issues and you wonder, maybe, maybe I'm trusting in people and people are failing me and that's why I'm so angry at the world. Maybe that's what's going on. Trust the Spirit's power. All right, so this is uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, this morning, super early, I was uh, sitting at my laptop uh, thinking and praying for a cool way to wrap this lesson up. And uh, it became, you know, just, you know, a fun quote or a story or something, something to help y'all remember. And uh, I got nothing, okay? Um, but I hope that in, in light of what we've learned today um, on the nature of God's wisdom and the, the ability of the Spirit to apply it, that that is okay with you and that is okay with me. Let's pray. Lord, uh, just thank you that you are present and you are at work and that you take all of the riches of Jesus and you apply it to our lives. We pray that you'd uh, just do that. We pray that your word this morning would return with fruit and with uh, great benefit in our lives. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.